Hello and you're very welcome to Kicking Match. My name is Peter Cinnamon and this is a podcast all about the Irish League. A league which might be getting into this whole t-shirt and sunglasses at games thing. But we don't want to admit it because our cousins have been into it for years and you know how that goes. Something we have been into for years is blaming the refs. And there was plenty of that this weekend. But like Wonderwall being played by a pub singer, yes you know all the words and of course you're into it. But maybe, after all, were they justified? We're on the case. This week, Glen Avon had to fight with only nine men. Is that this this week again? With only nine men on the pitch, but they didn't get away with it. Meanwhile, Glen Torn forgot to turn up for their first half again, but somehow did get away with it. Shevlin was silky, the Reds were lucky, and will Linfield ever play on a Saturday again? I'll stick the kettle on, and we'll sort this all out together. I've been in this podcasting game for, I don't know, Two weeks, but I know you as a listener, you have been in this world of Irish League podcasting for a lot longer. So why not bring in a familiar voice for this week? It's fair to say, Kicking Match wouldn't be around if it wasn't for the likes of this man and others who ploughed the furrow with the much-loved podcast, The Social Club. It just wouldn't be the same, mainly because I completely ripped off the concept. He lives every Irish League day like it's his last, a trailblazer a godfather of Irish League podcasting and one of the most respected sports journalists in the country. It's great to share the pod with Belfast Telegraph's Keith Bailey. Thank you, Peter. That's a great introduction. That is, you know, we did 250-odd episodes of The Social Club and that's a better intro than we ever did. So you're already 1-0 up on, on The Social Club. So fair play to you. You see, you get everywhere with compliments, Keith. That's that's what I'm learning. I'm a rookie, but just say nice things and people think you're not a bad bloke. But how does it feel back behind the mic, Keith? Uh, have you got a lot of hot takes that they're ready for me? I don't know. I was never really the hot take king in the in the social club land. I, I left uh, all the big opinions to Mark McIntosh. My role was uh, to try and introduce some kind of common sense and a bit of, bit of nuance or something at times. That's the way I looked at it. No, it, it was amazing. We, we really enjoyed doing the social club. It ran for, what, from 2011 to 2018. So it was it was a really big undertaking and it was like a real, uh, it was heart-wrenching to, to kind of give it up. But it, like all our careers kind of moved on and, and a few things had changed. A lot had changed from, from 2011 to 2018. It was a great thing to do. I think that it had quite a lot of influence and impact. Listen figures were never absolutely massive, but like, People still come up to me today and say, like, when are you going to bring that show back? It's like, well, it's not coming back, unfortunately. But it's great to see the likes of yourself uh, has picked up the baton. And and now we've got, like, a number of Irish League podcasts. Whereas when we started out back in 2011, like, we had to literally explain to people what a podcast was, which is really weird thinking about it now. But um, thankfully, times have changed. For sure. Uh, You know, there's always TikTok, Keith, if you want to get into that. You can start influencing people that way. I don't think so. I don't think that's my game. I've watched a bit of TikTok and I, I don't understand it. It seems, it's very confusing. I certainly don't want to do any dances. That seems to be the main thing it's for and dancing is not my thing. Do you miss getting involved doing the podcasting thing? You know, for those who, who weren't aware of the social club, it was you and other journalists sitting down and, and what was really trailblazing about it was that it was giving analysis 
of the game in a in a new way in a new format it felt like you were all engaging with the game and were giving criticisms and praise in a, in a different manner that you would see uh, either on the written page or or covered by other broadcasters do you do you sometimes get the itch the odd time going oh you know what i'd love to jump in the studio with the rest of the guys and really knuckle down on this issue well i think when we closed the social club in 2018 i said that i would love to do another podcast but when I did it, I'd like to be paid for it. I think that's the main difference. <laughs> we um, we uh, we we lost a fair bit of money on the podcast because it was on the social club because it was kind of like it was pre being able to do things like this, recording at home with with half decent quality. Um, yeah. So we hired a, we hired a studio, quite a famous studio, start together studios, done a lot of great bands from from Belfast and beyond. I've uh, recorded in there. So we hired that out at our own expense. Um, we got sponsors in as it went on. But uh, yeah, I do miss it a bit. I do miss the, um, I think what, what we try to do with some other podcasts, and this isn't a criticism at all, um, they bring in people connected with clubs and they interview them. And that's great. Um, but sometimes the, when you interview players or you interview managers, there's only so much they can say. They can't maybe be as honest as what a journalist can be, potentially. Um, so what I, I liked about our format at that time, and I think you're doing something similar, is we we debated topics. You know, we we didn't shy away from talking about things that were controversial. We didn't shy away from from going through each match and, and discussing things in a bit of detail. And, and we delved into you know smaller clubs and smaller leagues and stuff like that, which was a lot of fun. Um, you know, sometimes other podcasts can just be retelling of old stories and, and that sort of thing and that's maybe not not so much my bag but you know that's the way it is i could not agree more and we've got plenty to get into this week there was six games as well as other bits of news uh, you are well known as a key man who follows odds i really want to get into that story about the ground that will come up later but let's get into the thick of it and we go to friday night and a game between two teams at the oval where it felt as though this was their first big proper test of the season you know could Crusaders keep up that momentum from their flashy dismantling of Dungannon and could Mick McDermott get his Glentoran side up and running after a stuttering start to the season against Larne. Uh, the Glen men secured the three points, but it was a game which it ebbed, it flowed and it evolved as it went on. I felt the crews looked sharpest early and then Glentoran took over. How did you see it? Well, I'll straight up confess that I didn't watch the live broadcast because I was watching the villagers in the in Bangor's Wall Garden, which was a great gig. But this was apparently great as well. And I've caught up with the goals. That's a really impressive win for Glen Torn. You know, Crusaders have had a great run. You know, they didn't have a great season last year by you know any measure. Obviously, it ended well with the Irish Cup, but they went on a really good run towards the end of last season. It looked like they carried that momentum into the new season. Decent run in Europe. Charity Shield win, for whatever that's worth. And then a great win against Dungannon Swifts. Ben Kennedy was absolutely magnificent in that 5-1 win. Glentoran, on the other hand, well, they haven't really been great. You know, last season ended really poorly. They didn't qualify for Europe. Then the opening day of the season, draw away to Lauren is never a bad result for anyone, let's be fair. But probably wasn't a performance to get you Glenmen standing up excited for the new season there's obviously there's a lot of fuss off the pitch not everybody likes Mick McDermott I think that's well documented as in within the Glen Torn support so I was expecting Crusaders to win this it seemed like they were the team that, that had I don't want to say momentum because that's a horrible cliche but they seemed to have the upper hand going into this so for Glen Torn to turn around and win it 
and they win it relatively well. I think that's a bit of a statement victory for the Glens, and it says that Glen Torren are going to be competitive this year, which there was maybe a danger that, that people thought that wouldn't be the case. Glen Torren should be competitive. That Their team is great on paper. Aidan Wilson's a good signing, obviously played very well against his old team and scored an important goal. Yeah, it really shifted at half time. I thought Crusaders did bring that momentum in and it was all coming through Ben Kennedy and Ross Clark got the early goal and he looked super sharp on his 150th appearance. But then Ben Kennedy gets an injury about 15 minutes in. He comes off, on comes Ebe. And as much as throughout that half, they were pushing on, throwing men forward, it just wasn't the same. Albeit the Glens didn't really do much in the first half. It just seemed to be long ball after long ball and Crusaders were happy to deal with that all day but Jay Donnelly came off at halftime due to an injury McDermott changed up the shape and then it was that penalty slightly after the break that really shifted momentum uh, it was a handball from a sliding tackle McMenamin steps up he slots it home and all of a sudden then Crusaders they pushed men forward again they left themselves a bit more open Glen Torn came into the game that long ball was being put on the deck again and, and players like McMenamin just had the chance to dip and dive and really show the skill that they have it feels like he's now arrived for this season and from that penalty they pushed on they eventually got the third goal and they really ran away with it at the end for crusaders the question is moving forward against dungannon they were flat track bullies against a big team like glentor and a bit of nice seemed to be the thing that won over and it was maybe the depth Crusaders they have had a bit of a transfer window but they haven't got a lot of real bodies that are going to challenge for that starting 11. Ebe needs a bit of a chance to find his feet in the league I felt like he was a, a downgrade from Ben Kennedy anybody really would be but I agree with you that's a big win for Glen Torrance and I think they needed it early on in the season to start things going because we, we can see how Linfield are just flying out the gates with these wins albeit against lower opposition. Glen Torrance didn't want to get caught behind too early. Yeah, big time. And the Oval was a place where they struggled last season. And for their first game against a top six side, they'll be delighted with the win. It's massive for them. It's one that kind of sets things in motion. Like, it's a big statement win early in the season. And, and there's pressure on Glentorn. There's pressure on Mick McDermott. There's pressure on, on a lot of the teams in the top six. Because we've got this thing where we've probably six clubs there who all see themselves as teams who should be at the very least qualifying for Europe and, and six into four doesn't go uh, and inevitably a couple of teams will be disappointed and Mick McDermott like Glen Torren like Tiernan and Shetlorn will come under a lot of pressure if they don't deliver European football but they've got Corey in there you know, you've, you've got Crusaders Stephen Baxter like they are reliable in the sense that they, they consistently churn out top three, top four finishes. So there's there's a lot of pressure. It's a big, big year for Glen Torn, specifically for Mick McDermott and the project he, he's undertaken there. So if they can build off the back of that and get a few wins in a row, then it's a good start for them. Question still remains, and I, I think I see it online from Glen's fans. Do they know? They have plenty of talent. They have plenty of bodies. But do they know this starting eleven, which they're going to build upon? I think Aidan Wilson's really nailed on now. He started strong in those first two games. But 
looking at that game, I, I couldn't tell who was playing in midfield and at the back. Reese Marshall was in the mix there. Singleton was defence and then he, he was pushed up. I still don't know who that starting 11 for the Glens is. And maybe that's a good thing. They're going to find their place and, and ultimately the cream will rise to the top. But it's tough when you see Linfield known exactly. It's Kirk Miller and other players like that. They're just not as settled at the minute. No, that's true. The Glens aren't as settled in that format. I mean, I, I think like the concept of, of starting 11s, what's your first two starting 11, is probably pretty outdated, even at Irish league level. It is a squad game and there always will be an element of, of squad rotation. And the Glens have plenty of depth. Sometimes it, it feels like a little bit of a confused picture. Sometimes it's hard quite to track when they sign a player, where that player is going to fit into their team because they may be an overload of quality centre forwards, for example, and it's difficult to know how they're going to fit that all in. Then you kind of have the element of having somebody like, you know, Reese Marshall, who can play several different positions, you know, slung into the middle of it. So it, it's hard sometimes to, yeah, I know what you mean. If, you, if trying to pick Mick McDermott's starting 11 on any given Saturday, you may as well try and pick the six lotto numbers because it's, it, it's, it's hard going. He's got options. It's up to McDermott to try and fashion a solid starting eleven out of it. If he if he can, you know, find the win formula there, like Glentoran can challenge for the league title. They have enough quality there. The big question is, can he actually take that squad and mold it into a formidable outfit? Because they haven't really been that yet. I totally agree. McMenon did get up and running for the season there on Friday, but he came off after a. Pretty uh, zesty tackle from Josh Robinson. He got away with it on the night. Was it a red card for you? Yeah, I thought so. I, I thought it was a poor tackle, and I think that he couldn't have had any complaints if if the referee had produced a red card. It just seemed to be he was he was annoyed, and McMenamin was running rings around him, and and he had just come on Robinson. It was just that tackle where he gave a bit extra into it, and he did catch. McMenamin on the boot, and I thought it was a red there. He lucky to got away with that. Just quickly on where those teams are, are sitting, there seems to be still a bit of talk about Marin. Is there any word what's happening there? Is he likely to still be at the Oval come the end of the transfer window? I mean, it's pretty clear he's he's not part of McDermott's plans going forward. I mean, if you're not going to play him, if he's not going to feature, he, he has to go. Um, otherwise, it's a, it's a waste of a player and it's a waste of a wage. So I'd imagine that that he will be moved on before the end of the transfer window. I think it's it's a matter of of finding someone who's prepared to, to pony up to pay a transfer fee for him. I mean, I, I don't know what's gonna how that's gonna pan out, but I, I don't see him being part of Glen Torrens' plans or being at the Oval past the first of September. Cruise host Portadown next and the Glens go to the brand new fresh carpet world of Dungannon. Shifting over to solitude, uh, Cliftonville made life difficult for themselves for a second weekend in a row. But this time they got themselves off the hook. They look flashy going forward against Carrick but lacking concentration again at the back. We'll start off that they played in front of a sellout home crowd at Solitude. Could this be a trend for the Reds where they are going to be packing that home end week in, week out? Or was it just a case of opening weekend, bit more attention on it? Well, I think there's a lot of optimism there because of how well they did last season and the viewpoint that they've recruited well in the summer. I mean, I know that their season ticket sales have been phenomenal. 
you know the majority of the home stand as in the cage end has been sold the season tickets so it actually they don't need to sell that many more on a weekly basis to actually have a home sellout so if you're selling it at home to Carrick well you're going to sell it at home to the yeah. top six so I think they will sell out most weeks you, maybe listen you, you play in your on a Tuesday night and maybe it doesn't pan out that way but I think that most games and at Solitude on, on the weekend are, are going to be sold out. And that's fantastic. That's that's what you want. Irish League football is is in a good place. We know that the, the opening weekend crowds were, were well up on what they've been in, in previous seasons. It's a really positive thing. And Cliff Miller are a big part of that. They're a club with, you know, if, if they had better facilities or extra, uh, you know, another stand there, they could get more fans. There's no doubt about it. They have the potential to, to be a club that can regularly attract over 2,000 fans, 2,500 fans every week. And that's what we kind of want. You know, you want to see the clubs who at the moment are bringing in between 1,000 and 1,500 to maybe 2,000. You want to see them kick up into the 2,000s and you want to see Limfield who, who bring in, let's say, 2,500 maybe. You want to see them kick into the 3,000s. You, you want to see those crowds go up all over the place rather than just being patting ourselves in the back and, and celebrating and being satisfied with what we have. We want to see more and more crowds and I think the only way we're going to realise that potential is with, with additional funding to build new infrastructure at our state grounds. So please can we release that 36 million and fact can we please make it about 55 million to make up for the massive loss of inflation that, that we've had through inflation since that money was first muted in, in 2011. If if we really want to unleash the potential of the Irish League, we need to improve facilities. Well, on that note, is that the thing that is holding back a bit more development there at Solitude? I'm not fully in the loop of what their plans are there, but outsiders will look at that ground and go, well, you've got that big white elephant of an old main stand and you've got the big grassy bank behind the dugouts which for me has always been a bit of a desolate area that just seems like open potential is it just a case of they can't move forward they can't progress to fill a, what seems to be an apparent need they sold out their home end days in advance is it just waiting on that funding or is there some things in the background there where they're like yeah this is what we're we're looking to do next to redevelop the ground oh. Oh, I mean, I think everybody's waiting for the funding and Cliff Miller, one of those clubs that, that will be in the mix for it to, to improve their facilities. It's a strange ground, isn't it? You know, the stand, the cage stand was fantastic. The facilities in it are brilliant, but ultimately it is a stand behind the goal. That's not for everyone. The old stand, which I saw them many times over the years, again, you've got this strange thing where the, the away fans and the home fans are like a, an entire football pitch away from each other because of uh, because of the setup of the ground. Yeah, it needs a refresh. Um, I don't think anybody at Solitude <laughs> or Cliftonville would, would disagree with that. Again, like I say, there, there's potential there. And we can see that with the crowds that we're getting, but we can get more fans, not just Cliftonville, all across the league. And we can unleash the Irish League's potential with a bit of help from from our friends in Stormont. It's truly incredible to see they're just over 11,000 last weekend and I remember not too many years ago when it just felt like any ground over four figures was like wow particularly if it wasn't the Oval or or Windsor but getting into the game um, insert dream start cliche here was it like eight seconds or something that they got the goal from? 7.92 I believe <laughs> is the, the official figure now it was nine, and then somehow it came down a second and a bit um, and over the course of Saturday. Yeah, what a great goal. Um, really well worked. Not particularly original. Half of Europe seems to have been doing that goal. Spotted Rotterdam 
Bournemouth have both tried it in recent times. It seems to be a bit of a trend. I suspect that that particular move will not work this time next week anywhere in Europe. I think it's had its go. It was great and really well executed. What an overhead kick from Hale. Obviously, that goal is not meant to end specifically with an overhead kick. It's supposed to end with you know the striker running off it and, and smash it into the net. But uh, he made it his own, so fair play to him. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I love stuff like that. How continental, eh? What, what I also loved is Paddy McLaughlin was like, yeah, that wasn't my idea. <laughs> I'm glad it worked, but it's not what I would do. Uh, but they were flying so quick. It caught, I think, everybody off guard, even if you listened to it on the radio. It didn't take too long for Carg to get back in, leveling it, uh, really made by Curtis Allen on the right-hand side of the box. He hassled the defender, and then he picked out Lloyd Anderson beautifully, just outside the six-yard box. Curtis Allen isn't there to sit back and take a paycheck anyway. He started off really well for Carrick. Curtis Allen is, that's a risk of a sign in many sure. ways. That People might find that a controversial statement, but he's going to be on a fair wage that probably by his standards is maybe not as much as he's been on in the past. I'm sure it isn't. In fact, for Carrick, that'll be a big outlay. And Curtis has injury problems. Everybody knows that about him. He has quality. That is hard to come by if you are Carrick Rangers or in Newry City or Dungan Swifts. He has that in abundance and we saw that on Saturday. You know, he was obviously set up uh, Lloyd Anderson, but you know, I think from what we see from the highlights and what I heard on Radio Ulster, you know, he all around had a good game and that's what he brings to the table. And Carrick for me have made a really good start. Now I know they go on and lose this game and we have the red card and the penalty, but like they lost three two sure. But it doesn't seem like it was a bad performance. That on top of the win over Newry last weekend. And, and ultimately, they're the games that Carrick need to win. You need to beat the teams around you. So, great start, I think, for Carrick. And I'm impressed by the fact they came up to beat Ards in the playoff 2019. And I think most people would have said, sure, they'll come straight back down again. Now, obviously, COVID and, and no relegation for a year maybe helped that a wee bit, helped them cement their place. They are an established Premiership team now, and I, I don't see them being in the bottom two this season. So far, I've played them. Feels like it. You're absolutely right. It was a risk. It's one of those things that other fans are quick to jump on and say there is plenty of red flags that you've got to worry about an older player. But they're nailing these at the minute, Carrick, with the likes of Cushley as well. And he got a goal, that beautiful left foot of his, on show again, got the goal that got them 2-1 up. And at the break there, Paddy McLaughlin for Cliftonville just must have thought, here we go again. Yeah, concerning to be 2-1 down. But I mean, I guess that if you're Cliftonville, you probably always have the confidence that you can come back into the game because you've got the firepower and attack and, and no surprise that it's Joe Gormley that pops up with the winner. You know, I don't think anybody's really written off Joe Gormley. I mean, I think sometimes you kind of get that vibe from him that he feels that people are written him off. I don't think that's the case. Sometimes he's maybe not seen as the force that he was, but here he, he's still the best finisher in the Irish League he's still a force to be reckoned with he just scored the sort of goal that Joe Gormley scores that turns one point into, into three points for Cliff Mullen. he's been doing it for years and I think he can do it for, for a few years to come yet anyway big moment from a big man undoubtedly I counted it as 45 seconds this time Ryan from the time he stepped his first boot onto the pitch and until he went up and popped in the goal that was the one to make it 3-2 they got back into the game on 53 minutes after what I saw I thought Cliftonville were gifted that penalty it came from Mark Sergener pulling on Luke Turner Carrick manager Stuart King he wasn't happy with it and this is how he saw the decision when he was speaking to the club's social media team first one's not a penalty there's an overhead cross that's going out of play 
player throws himself to the ground, he tells my player it's not a penalty. The referee gives it. What makes it worse is when I speak to the assessor after the game and he tells me that he agrees it's a penalty and I show him to it. I show him the footage and he still says it's a penalty. So, listen, it's disappointing. Um, Stuart King's not happy. He doesn't think it should be a penalty. Carrick almost got into the game near the very end when Tilney broke through. David Cushley again being the provider. He was one-on-one charging into the six-yard box. He slotted it in, but the flag went up. On radio, Gareth Hanna was talking about how he said it was close. And those are just the fine margins which could have decided that game. It's hard to tell, isn't it, on the TV footage whether Telney was, was on or off. You don't quite get that Premier League overview that you get when you're watching Super Sunday. But, I mean, listen, I think Stuart King has every right to be annoyed. I mean, the penalty seems harsh. That card was probably harsh as well. It's frustrating sometimes when you are one of those clubs at the bottom of the league. You feel like you don't get the big decisions when you go to the top clubs. Whether that's right or not, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it's an inevitable consequence of the the opposition having more of the ball and, and getting into the penalty box more often. You're in more danger of conceding penalties and what have you. If you are, from an outsider point of view, looking at Cliftonville, should Cliftonville be worried it's not the best start to the season? Being torn apart a bit by Coleraine, sneaking their way through Carrick. Is there work to be done there after a dogged display in Europe? There's yeah, it has here. been a relatively slow start it's only two games so it's difficult to draw any real serious conclusions i mean if you look at it one way it's not particularly surprising what's happened Coleraine away that's one of the most difficult games in Irish league football and at the end of the day they did actually beat Carrick so it's maybe a par really yeah the performances haven't been maybe the level that they would expect but they've a lot of quality there so like i'm sure they'll improve i thought they were pulsating as always moving forward Malin really impressed out wide for them and and seem to just push forward and really make things happen for them they go again they go to Balamina for their next game meanwhile Carrick uh, they welcome that team who Cliftonville struggled against they welcomed Colerain to Taylor's Avenue I saw you Glenavon fans online last week we can play with nine men every week I saw you jest well, you're making a good go of it this season. Down to nine men again. Gary Hamilton isn't happy about it again. And they almost got away with it again. But Lauren squeaked their way through with a win thanks to a late, late penalty. 97th minute. Gutting, I think, is probably the words that uh, Glenavon fans were feeling on Saturday they almost did it again. What is going on there? I mean, I wish it was at this game because it looked great crack altogether. Gary Hamilton was not happy after the game, as we can tell from his interviews with the media. Very entertaining all round. I don't think he would see it that way. Serious issues at hand. Obviously, three big decisions, and, and I'm not sure Andrew Davey got them right. Uh, so I think Gary Hamilton is right to be angry. I can understand his anger. I think he's. it's fair enough for him to raise it. However, I don't agree with him necessarily that there's some sort of Glenavon, anti-Glenavon conspiracy theory going on or that the referees are all right to stop Glenavon. I think it's just a bit of misfortune on his part that his team were on the wrong end of some poor decisions this weekend. So so Gary Hamilton's right in one way, but I, 
I wouldn't necessarily agree with him on the Anthony Glenavon buy that he seems to think's going on. Oh, Keith, I love this so much to discuss and dissect. Uh, where do we go first? Let's talk about the goals, shall we? Paul O'Neill, he's off the mark for his new club, Lord. Peppy we run, I thought, right into the far end of the box. I'm not quite sure if the Glenavon keeper should have really run out and rushed out to try and close him down, but O'Neill's shot. He shot it early and he found the back of the net. Glenavon then got a goal back, wing back Mihal Glynn. He got it just before half time. It was a he won a header at the back post. It was actually brilliantly pulled back by Jack Malone on the byline. That's really Jack Malone's goal if anybody made that. And well, let's get down to the decisions. First one is red card for Callum Burney. I'll set the scene. It's very clear that he tripped Lee Bonus as he ran on towards the box. There was defenders in line with him at the time, left and right of Bernie. But Andrew Davy blows it up. And, and as he blows it up, the ball trickles through from this tackle towards an on-rushing Paul O'Neill who scores. Larn players are furious. Glenavon players are looking around going, what's going to happen here? And the referee, Andrew Davy, gives a red card to Callum Bernie with the idea that it was a last man tackle. In your eyes, before we get into the whole, should he have stopped the play as it was going on? Should he have let it develop? If there's no Paul O'Neill in that situation, is that a red card for last man? I suppose the, the, the phraseology is, is he denying a clear goal scoring opportunity? Yeah, I mean, arguably, is it's a very cynical tackle. Like, it's very obvious what he's doing. He, he knows he's in yeah. trouble and he brings him down. So I think there's a strong case for a red card. I would argue that there's maybe enough Glenavon defenders around him to to maybe get in and make a tackle, make a stop to prevent the goal scoring opportunity. So it's harsh, but I think the reality of it is the referee should have played advantage. He didn't play advantage. The ball sure. ends up in the back of the net. He can't give that goal because he very clearly blew the whistle before the ball hit the net. And he's like, oh no, I've made a mistake here. I've denied Lauren scoring a goal. How can I best make up for this? Maybe this isn't Andrew Davies' thought process, but th th this is just my interpretation of what happened. And and I guess a way to like level it up or even it out would be to if is to give that record. And you know that was kind of an orange card. That was maybe one that could go on either way. But when when everything else that unfurled after that then I think he, he got the red card out because he knew that he got it wrong. I mean, what really should have happened there is play should have continued, advantage should have been played, ball goes into the back of the net, it's a goal for Lauren and a, and a yellow card, and we get on with the game. And if that happened, I don't think anybody would really, nobody would complain, nobody would complain about the yellow card, nobody would be looking at that to be a red, and Lauren would be happy to have their goal. Um, so I, I think it was, uh, I can understand why, why Gary Hamilton was, was annoyed. Gary Hamilton suggested that Andrew Davey admitted there and then that he'd realised he had made a mistake, and, and I, I think he probably did. In my head, it's definitely a red card for last man. I think he's through, regardless of defenders either side. They're all in line. The bonus is through at that point. There's another red card to talk about, as we alluded to earlier. Uh, Jack Malone, the man who I believe provided the ball for their goal... It's a 50-50 in the middle of the park. Big sliding tackle from both players. For me, I think he caught Paul O'Neill with a high boot. It went above in his chest. 
It felt reckless to me. Do you disagree, Keith? No, not particularly. I mean, the, the way the camera angle doesn't show it quite clearly because of the way that Malone's back is, and it's it's difficult enough to tell. I think Andrew Davey has a very good view of it. I'm happy to, to trust his judgment on it. You know, he jumped into a tackle that he didn't need to, so I think there's always the, the potential for a red card in that situation. I don't really have a lot of sympathy for, for players who they get red cards when they, they jump into to tackles like that. Again, you know, it's not maybe a... An absolute clear-cut decision, uh, an easy decision for the referee. But I think, you know, probably got that one right. I think when you're there and you're, it's live and it's right in front of you, I can I can see it being given, particularly with the nature of it. And then there was the final twist in the tail because it was 1-1 at that point. The Paul O'Neill goal wasn't given from the Colin Burney red card. So Glenavon have held on, have held on. And then it's a late, late penalty. It's for a handball. It's hard to tell. I think it's a big decision to give it, I must say. I think it's a big decision when you see that flick up on the hand to go, right, I think that's a handball I'm going to give it. Tiernan Lynch would have been frustrated if he didn't give it. Is there a question over it? It flicks up very close to him. You know, do, do you really have time to, to react? Is his hand in an unnatural position? Not really sure it is. I think it's really harsh. I suppose from a referee's perspective, they've got to take out the time factor. When we look at these things, sometimes we'll say something like, that's a crazy decision to give in the 96th minute. Well, it doesn't actually matter that's the 96th minute. You've got to judge it on its merits. And you know what, we see those sort of penalties given all the time, so it's not really a surprise. And probably with what Andrew Davey uh, and the other officials, what they talk about and the guidance that they get, it probably is a penalty. Do I like that it's a penalty? Not particularly. I, I find that sort of thing frustrating. Godding, as I said earlier on, that's probably how Glenavon feel. But oh my goodness, imagine being a Glenavon fan. Just your heart must be going through the ringer. But ultimately, after two games, they're sitting there with one point and... The final bit that Guy Hamilton talked about was, you talked about it there, this, an agenda, I guess, is the, is the word that he didn't use, but I am. He's suggesting that it just seems to constantly happen to Glenn's. Glenn Avon, I've been there to see a lot of these red cards being given. There's maybe a discipline issue there as well. I mean, see when Bradley red card last weekend was just, I mean, that's just poor from someone of his experience. So there seem to be a, a discipline issue there. They haven't just got four red cards out of nothing. It's an interesting year for Glenavon, and I'd actually put Balamina into this this category as well. That Glenavon and Balamina are two really big clubs, support fan bases that demand a lot uh, potential there for there to be to get they get good crowds as is, but both have potential to get bigger crowds. But they're a little bit unfortunate in the sense that other clubs around them, Lauren, a prime example, massive financial investment there, same at Glen Torren. Corain are in great shape with Oren Kearney. You know, the teams that, that maybe five years ago or a wee bit before they would have been on a level with are, are quite often better than, certainly better than Lauren, have surpassed them. And it's not really any of their fault. They're living within their means. And they, they've got this, what do you do if you're Glenavon or Balmina? Do you invest more money to try and maybe go full-time or do you just bring in better part-time players? Well, that's a hell of a risk because if you don't make European football 
as you're likely not to, then you could end up, you know, losing money and, and putting the club in a difficult position. And both Glenavon and Balmain in their history have been in difficult financial positions. So that's a concern for them. So they realistically have got to keep doing what they do and live within their means and do the best that they can within those means. But sadly for them, I think it's almost impossible for the two of them to break the top six or very, very difficult for them to break the top six. You kind of got to hope to get that seventh place and then maybe a bit of luck and win the European playoff or a bit of luck and you win a cup, which is something that obviously both clubs uh, have won cup competitions in the last five years and have had a lot of joy doing that. But like in terms of league progress, Glenavon Balmina, they are too good to ever get into a relegation battle, but they're not quite good enough to feature in the leagues, the upper echelons. Like you hope they can maybe squeeze top six, but for that to happen, somebody in the top six has to have a total stinker. And I don't see it happening. I think you've really nailed something I've been thinking about and probably something that people running those clubs have been thinking about. It's what do you do? Because if you stand still, you're going backwards. But how do you commit in this new world of, of transfer fees? It feels like last year, Glenavon rolled the dice. They brought in experience, quality players in the likes of Waterworth and Hockey and and Stafford uh, on the whole that didn't work but it was clearly a roll of dice to give it a go and Balamina's doing something similar bringing in Davy McDade and, and other players and you know are you sacrificing your future like I think Crusaders are, are an interesting team in this regard where they need to push on because if they don't push on their base could just fizzle away out until all of a sudden you are trying to crawl back into that top area and it could be tough it's all about player development i guess it's just getting those players in and hoping it all comes together for them and if, if i'm being honest i respect more what glenavon and balamina are trying to do where they're trying to live within their means and, and just be what they can be and, and they, those three teams both spend decent money like i'm not i don't want to make out like there's no budget that's clearly not the case but they're not spending the same level as alarm for example you mentioned Crusaders. Obviously, they've got that takeover pending. I have concerns about that. I don't know really whether that's the best way forward, you know, selling off your club to get investment so you can spend money on players. That's a really big risk. I would rather fall back down the league table. I'd rather be a bottom six club than give away large portions of my club to investors that haven't grown up with the club and, and don't have it in their background. I think that's a risky move. And, you know, Glen Torn have done something similar. As you know, I'm an arts fan and we'll talk a little bit about arts in a bit, but I come from a club where the ground was sold and it's had absolutely catastrophic consequences for the club that, that go forward for 20 years on, 25 years on. So I'm very wary of like outward investment and, and selling off your ground, stuff like that. That's scary business to me, even if that means you're not challenging for the Irish Cup or the Irish League title because there's more important things than football and winning trophies. You've hit on a really interesting point and I would just love to explore it one bit more because we've got full-time clubs in this league and, and plenty of people pointed to the erratic nature that the League of Ireland has been over the past 10, 15 years where full-time football has just been a strange mix of clubs rising and falling and, and exploding with success and then fizzling out and I think more clearly than ever before, I see how this Linfield story is what these investors were looking at, that you win the league and then that could access you somewhat easier than before a big pot of money in the Europa Conference League. We're not seeing it yet, but it feels like these clubs are 
they're bringing some new players to the league, but they're hiking the prices up for players that would be about in the league. Anyway, that's good for players. That's good for any type of progression. But is there a certain fear of there's a warning from the likes of Cork? Very different situation, as well as Fingal and all that type of stuff. Those teams there. Are we playing with fire with some of these teams at the minute? Or is it being done in a different way where fans shouldn't get too worried? I think it's massively worrying. I would be concerned about it. The wages that some Irish League players are earning now are massive. And we're doing this thing at the moment where everybody, everyone's really excited about the Irish League. I have never known there to be such positivity around it in my 30 years. And it's really good, but we need to be careful not to get carried away with it. And clubs don't overspend because there's this. There's going to be a, a thing here where if Limfield qualify for the Europa Conference League, I think they will. That's going to open up a, a pot of money, which we believe will be around three million pounds. That's massive. So then Limfield will inevitably invest that in players, and rightly so. Well, then what do other clubs do? What do Glentoran and Crusaders do there? Do they do they spend more money to try and chase that? If they do, that's really scary and really risky. There's this notion that if Limfield qualify for the Europa Conference League. That's great news for the entire league. I'm not convinced about that. It could go one way and then feel could dominate for the next 10 years. Or it could go another way where clubs try and chase them and spend too much money to try and catch up with them. And, and then we end up with financial meltdowns. So, listen, obviously, I, I do want them feel to, to make and to win on Thursday night. It would be good, a positive thing for a lot of reasons, but other clubs need to tread carefully. And we see a thing as well where there's different levels opening up. I mentioned. Glenavon and Balamina are, are a step below now, the top six. Then you go a step below Glenavon and, and Balamina and you, you've got a, a bottom four there. It's difficult for them because they're training two nights a week while other teams are either full-time or training three nights a week. And you ask those players to train two nights a week or to train an extra night a week, three nights a week, and then they can quite rightly turn around and say, well, I'm not getting that much money. It's not really worth my while to do this. Then you get the situation that we had last year. I mean, there was a stat yesterday that Carrick didn't beat any of the top six in their 18 games against them. Like, that's quite concerning. And then those stats are repeated across the league. It's very, very rare that one of Carrick, Dungannon, or Portadown, I know it has happened, but it's very rare that one of those three teams go and beats one of the top six. And that, that's concerning as well. So I think the, the, the input of money into the league it's good, you know, we're seeing some great players, we're seeing great football, but we need to be careful with it because it's creating levels and teams need to live within those levels as depressing or as difficult as that might be. Um, and that applies to the Glen Torn as much as it applies to Carrick. An amazing insight there, Keith. I, I do think it's, it's a thing that hasn't been fully looked at just yet or prognosticated about of of where does this go and where does this end right now look it's great and you know great games on the pitch and let, let's talk about Linfield let's go to that game that happened on Sunday it, it was another stroll in the park for Linfield down at the showgrounds they rotated the squad unsurprisingly and I don't really think they got out of second gear at all Newry were dogged and they were fighting they Linfield almost let them run on to them and, and, and chase these balls down but the efficiency of how Linfield put Newry to the sword was very impressive do you know what I thought Newry did alright to be fair to them they, they kept it competitive for you know 60 minutes 70 minutes big big gap in standard between those two clubs as we just talked about but like, all around I think that was a really good day for Newry City as a football club 
two and a bit thousand there, over two thousand fans there. Um, clearly, like it wasn't two thousand infield fans. I mean, there was a massive crowd in the home home end. And you look round, and you kind of see like GAA shirts and stuff. So that maybe makes me think there are people who don't necessarily go and watch, not because they weren't GAA, just they weren't wearing Yuri kits necessarily. So that makes me think there are people who don't necessarily go and watch Yuri every week. Have came along to see that game because it's on Sunday, because it's them field, and I'm sure they enjoyed the product, and they may well come back. So. Uh, and Yuri gave a good account of themselves. They were dogged, and and then feel rightly won, deservedly won, no doubt about it. Uh, probably yeah. should have had about six penalties for some some strange calls in that game as well. But Yuri did not let themselves down in, in any way, and I think it was a really and, and the showgrounds looked looked good in TV. And I think it was a good day for Nuri. As for Linfield, I think they would like to have killed that game off a little bit earlier. I mean, it was two one going well into the second half. Bear in mind how they've arguably one of the biggest games in their history coming up on Thursday night. I think that Linfield would like to have been 3 0 up at half time or, or maybe early in the second half. You know, they had to bring Chris Fields on to shore things up. So I don't think that went exactly the plan for Linfield, but here they look very good. And I will be absolutely amazed if Linfield don't win the league this season. I'm starting to feel that way as, as well. Feels like that's a game where you've travelled to Latvia, you've come back, you've got a Newry City team that's full of players that are just running at you, firing bodies forward, and they didn't do that much to score the goals. I don't know what Vertanen did, bar stick the ball in the net. Like, his second goal was well taken, but he was at fault, I felt, in defending the, the goal that Newry got with Lorcan Ford and this Kirkham Miller looks fantastic and what a signing bringing back Joel Cooper is he just on the wing that cross for the third goal tantalizing like they've got real strength and depth here Cooper's class act isn't he you know he's just fun to watch I love the the cheeky recross for the first goal as well that was just that was just class Bertanen's fun. He just seems to score goals without necessarily being a great all-round player. But so yeah, Linfield are in great shape. You know that they're they're good all over the pitch. Um, I think the the biggest problem they're going to face is if they qualify for the Conference League, which is a fairly big if. You are know, RFS or no mugs. How do they handle the Thursday Sunday thing? Obviously, they're handling it at the moment. That's fine. Now it's going to be a bit more difficult when you get into the season. And you've got a lot of games going on. That's their biggest challenge this year, and and you can't really talk about that until after Thursday night. So, if they go out on Thursday, I have no, absolutely no doubt they'll win the league. If they stay in, I still think they'll win it because actually, you know, they could probably handle it because they, as you said, they've got the the squad depth. They really do. I'm constantly raving about Divine, and if that's your not even nailed on starter, just the size and the presence of him. Uh, you know, brilliant. Even that back line. I'm trying to pick my fantasy team here week to week, and I'm like, who's going to be this back line player for Linfields? I really want because I, I thought that it was at least a place where I'm like, well, I'm guaranteed to have somebody there that I can bank on every week. But uh, Nuri looked great going forward. McGovern was a threat. Ford is going to, Lorcan Ford is just going to spook a few fullbacks this season. But let's look ahead to the game this Thursday. The Europa Conference League, second leg of the final qualifying game. Latvian opposition, RFS. Riga's football scola was a aware man like me, has butchered the pronunciation of it. 2 0 ahead in Riga. They must have been on Dreamland. There were two great goals. How disappointed must they be knowing that they're going into this Windsor Park game and it's a 
it's nil nil again. It's a dead rubber. It is a big blow in the sense that obviously you know they've they've given away a lead, but you look at it one way and you say, well, would Linfield have taken a draw before kickoff in in Latvia? Of course they would have. That's a good result. That is unquestionably a good result on its own. The factor though is, is there a psychological element to it? Is there an element of this has changed the whole tie uh, and made it winnable now for RFS because they, not just because they've got the draw, so it's nil-nil to kick off with, but actually have those two goals in injury time given them a lift and they're like, we can we can go on. And does it put doubt in them field's mind and does it scare them field? And I think that if David Healy can can get the players to the point where they put that completely out of their minds and they're focused solely on the game ahead, and like you say, it, it's it starts off all all level. Linfield will win that game because I think they are marginally better than than RFS. I think they showed that in the ninety minutes that preceded the two goals. There's a, a psychological element to football, and there's no doubt that those two late goals will give an RFS a lift. Big old game. I'm sure David Haley's cursing that the away goal rule's been scrapped because that would have been a, a much, much better result two seasons ago. I'm not sure if you're old enough to remember this. I, I just about am, but Linfield once beat Copenhagen 3 0 at Windsor Park and then lost 4 0 away with, with a very, very late goal. Shades of Copenhagen out in Riga. Unlike with that famous Copenhagen result that denied Linfield the chance to play AC Milan back in 93. Linfield have a chance to put this right at Windsor Park, and I think they will, but it's going to be tight. It wouldn't hugely surprise me if we saw extra time penalties on Thursday night. It is one of the biggest games in Linfield's history, and that's a hell of a statement when you think what the history of Linfield Football Club has. It really is. It feels like a, a new, completely new generation. Like you, you look how the Irish League has changed. I was talking with Michael Clark about how it's 15 years since we went back down to 12 and seeing these full time clubs and all the rest. and we looked down to the League of Ireland and, and, and saw Shamrock Rovers first getting into the Europa League group stage and then Dundalk repeating it again. And it just felt like a pipe dream. But I think Linfield will be massively deflated if they don't get through on Thursday. The Latvian League is a league, I think, of similar ilk. It, it, again, I'm not saying they should run over RFS, but we are not talking about the previous teams have played against Zurich or Bodo Glimt. You know, this is a, a league who we should feel as though we can beat on our on our day and they'll need to be up for it and nerves could play a part. A lot of hype over these big men and you're absolutely right. A corner swinging in, it'll just be about attention to details there. <sighs> absolutely massive game. I, I Of course, I can't call it, but I think the atmosphere has got to be incredible. I, I would absolutely put the ribbon around it i think this is the biggest game in linfield's history and i think it shows that winning the league is bigger than ever before because all you need to do is get through one round in the champions league against hopefully a tns or or someone of that ilk and you can lose two two-legged ties and you still are in with a shout of getting a massive windfall uh, a very exciting game on the way We'll go to Shamrock Park, a game I was at, I was covering, and uh, a game between two teams who invested heavily, bringing new players into the squad, and I think it's fair to say one team showed the other how to seamlessly integrate lots of players into their starting eleven. It does help when you have players of the quality that Corian have, 
It was the McDermott, the Shevlin show. Coleraine looking very impressive once again. Yeah, Coleraine are really good and not enough people are talking about them, frankly. There was definitely more talk preseason. Everyone knows what Limpfield are. That's fine. But there was more talk preseason about could the Glens make a push for league title? Could Cliftonville in particular, could they push for league title? Coleraine are on a par, if not better than those two, in my opinion. I think the signings that they made in the summer were first class. Oren Kearney has not turned into a lesser manager overnight. We know how good he has been in the past. I think Coleraine have a real, like I say, Linfield are going to win the league, but Coleraine have a real chance this season of, of second or or winning an Irish Cup or winning the League Cup. I think they look really impressive on paper. Uh, and they were impressive on the pitch. You know, the, the McDermott, Shevlin uh, link-up play was was superb. Um, scored two and, and Shevlin probably should have scored a, a third, uh, one in between, which also came from a good bit of play by McDermott. But if you were put it on, you'd be worried. I mean, I, I don't really understand some of the moves in the summer. You know, why would you let Greg Hall and Michael Ruddy go? I mean, they're they're two pretty solid fullbacks who, who very rarely let put it on down. They brought players in that maybe I don't some of them I don't know an awful lot about if I'm, I'm being bluntly honest. It, most people are tipping put it on for, for relegation. Um and I think that's fair. And I haven't seen anything in the last two games that dissuade me from that, that opinion. It absolutely is fair. I, I'd say they've had two tough games, absolutely Linfield away and taking on this new Coleraine. I don't think anybody would want that. They came off what fans would talk about as a historically per season. They almost got relegated by what would be seen as the minnows down the road. That was a massive game for Anna United and came very close. And clearly that squad needed a completely uprooting and upheaval there if reports are to be believed this is not a team that's been formed by Paul Doolan it seems to have been formed by either a committee or a head of recruitment and Paul Doolan's talked about how they just can't get Irish League players in they're looking for players and they're being quoted 20 30 50 thousand pounds for somebody and they're finding it tough up top both games have shown that again they're going against tough opposition but the one thing that fans seem to be asking for was premiership quality players and they've brought in players who most have never played in the league. Now, do they work out on some occasions? Yes, I would say if you said to a Portown fan, the likes of Kevin Braniff and Gary McCutcheon, they were not regulars massively in the league before they came in. So it's worked before and Doolan's talked about how in interviews that these players are a bunch of strangers and they don't really know each other yet. Some Portadown fans would say, well, isn't that what preseason's for? So a lot of work needs to be done. The one hope I would say if as a Portadown fan is that it's a young team so that it can grow into it. And as much as there's a couple of years since those big achievements, Paul Doolan has a brilliant record as a coach. He did amazing things with Drogheda well over a decade ago. And, you know, he was the manager or head coach of a Republic of Ireland underage team that provided some great great players and by all accounts players like Paddock Manelli have raved about what Doolan's brought they're probably lacking in confidence and it's going to be a tough season for them they stayed up because they were able to beat Warren Point more than Warren Point were able to beat them and they got good results against Coleraine and Balamina and got a number of draws it's that whole thing I, I don't know if there's a real name for it where you counter what happened the last season against this season you're like okay so that's three points dropped let's say because they beat Coleraine at home last season do the ports look at that and go there's three points dropped 
what do we do? It, it's going to be tough, but they are growing into the season. For Corian, I completely agree with everything that you said. You take their back four, their midfield, what they've got up top. They are equal, if not better, than some of the other teams you're saying there. Why did Lauren let go Lee Lynch? He is just a dynamo in midfield. Uh, Jimmy Glacken, I know he's been there for a bit, ran the show up top. And the one thing is that they are a busy team. They're a frenetic team. And it'll just be about can they sustain that amount of energy every week? I guess that's why you have the likes of Conor McHenry and James McLaughlin and Michael McCrudden on the bench to freshen things up. But could they run themselves into the ground? A bit like Linfield and Yuri. I don't think Corian had to do much. But what they did do, they did it with efficiency and class. And Matthew Shevlin, based on that performance against a, a poor poor down team so far, he could be scary with the amount of goals he got because he took them so, so well. A poacher with strength. He looked amazing at Shamrock Park there. A team with an unwanted record is Dungannon. That's seven wins out of seven for David Jeffries, Balamini United against Dungannon. It's like the the mirror world of their character. They can beat Dungannon, but they can't beat Carrick. Uh, Ross Redmond was benched after that last-minute poor back pass. David Jeffries was angry, and clearly he decided to make a statement with that. Balamina ran out 2-0 winners. A disappointing start to life with the brand new surface at Stangmore Park for Dean Shields. The goals, well, I thought David McDade's back heel pass was just beautiful. Josh Kelly ran onto it, and I'm surprised he didn't square it to Paul McElroy, who was just to the left of him. But he took it, and he hit it true, and he scored. And uh, Swift's boss, Dean Shields, is crying about players going forward. I guess they couldn't get... Darren McBrien back soon enough. That, that's it for Dungannon. I mean, I, I talked a little bit about uh, clubs need to live within their means and, and Dungannon do that well. And, you know, they, they will again be in the bottom four. Again, they will probably have a relegation battle up until a certain point in about, let's say, March, where they'll win a few games in a row, pull away from it, and then they'll be fine. Because that's kind of what happens everywhere for Dungannon. And I, I don't see that changing. Ah, uh, yeah. It, it, it could be tough, but. They found form in fits and starts last season. They do have plenty of new names, like of Ruddy and Cole. And uh, maybe it's just a case of Crusaders was tough. They haven't had a good record against Balamina. It's They just need to get up and running and see what they can do. A win that Balamina wanted to get, no doubt. But they now have to face a Cliftonville side. I think that's going to be a very tasty game at the showgrounds. How lucky am I that the week that Ards announced some brilliant news for them in regards to their ground, I have uh, Mr. Ards, Keith Bailey, on the pod. Keith, this is massive news, I imagine, for your club. What are the details? What did that announcement mean last week? It's really good news. It's something that's been coming a long time it's been over a year in the works i'll take it back i guess just to explain to people because maybe not everybody has a full knowledge of it or played at castle park for the best part of well over 80 years i think that ground was sold in the late 90s because the club was in crippling debt and you can think about that and why i say things i do about maybe crusaders or glen torn when i urge caution when it comes to financial management the club sold its ground 
they left it in late 2001. Since then, they've played at, mainly at Bangor, two different spells Bangor, but they also had stints at Bally Clare and at Carrick Rangers and at Solitude as well, a very brief spell at Solitude. Uh, and throughout that time, there have been five, six attempts to bring Ards home, to, to coin a phrase. One of the very early ones involved a dog track, you know, something similar to what the story have, you know, that, that fell through, you know, there was there's an attempt to move into Mabella High School and you'd have a pitch that could be accessed by the school and it could also be used as an actually ground that fell through. There was a community stadium that was going to be built at Londonderry Park, which is a uh, playing fields in Newton Ards uh, in partnership with the council. That fell through when it was discovered that the ground land wasn't actually owned by the council. It was owned by a local landlord. So unbelievable, like crazy setbacks, heartbreaking situations down the years. Um, I, I think sometimes people who don't really follow it get the impression that New Arts have never really tried to get a ground back in Newton Arts. Nothing could be farther than, from the truth. It's been... 20 years of setbacks and heartbreak and it's an incredibly difficult and emotional thing for those people who are involved in it and it's really difficult actually because people will make jibes about it and will people will will kind of crack jokes about it and it's quite a painful thing and quite a sensitive thing for people who have been there and been involved the whole way through and for fans of the club so what does this mean and what is it so what's happened here is there is a plot of land called the floodgates it's along the port of Fry road it's near the airport it's couple of hundred yards along the road from uh, where Castaway Park used to stand. It's council owned and it's basically wasteland at the moment. Uh, there's there's nothing on it in particular and the council have leased it to ours. It's a long-term loan, I believe around the 25-year mark. and It's at a reasonable rate that, that's affordable for ours. So it's not free, but it's not a, a one pound for 99 years job. But it is, it's at a reasonable rate that the club can afford. And what it does is it gives Ards the opportunity to try and build the ground of their own. Now, if you logged on the Ards social media, you would have seen like the big kind of flagged up Ards are coming home. Yeah, maybe, hopefully. But there's also a really, really long way to go. So the ground that Ards have planned, um, and you can you can see plans of it, um, it's available. So out there on the internet. Um, it's not spectacular by any shade of the imagination. It's probably like a modern Dungannon or a modern Warren Point. You know, it's 2,000 capacity in total. Uh, seating is is under the, the 1,000 mark. Two relatively small but modern stands. It's nothing spectacular, but that that alone would cost $4 million to make, to build. Um, you know, and we're... Oh, and this is the thing that, you know, people talk about the $36 million and how key it is. That $36 million will not do an awful lot for Irish League football because of the expense and the cost of building uh, and where it's at nowadays. So you're talking to build a Stagmore Park that is a little bit more modern than what, what Dungallans is now, it sets you back four mil. So think about that and think about what all the various clubs want to do in their plans and how fantastic they are and what they'd actually cost. But anyway, um, to get back to Arts, Arts need to raise four million. Obviously, they want to tap into the uh, the funds that, that hopefully will become available from the Department for Communities. Um, again, no guarantee that they'll get them. They certainly won't get $4 million. I'd be delighted if they did, but I mean, I would imagine it would be spread more thinly than that. I do think ours should be, should be considered very seriously. In fact, should be at the top of that queue because if you look at, and I don't want to be disrespectful to other clubs because I know those other clubs need that money as well. And I referenced that at the top of the show when I talked about Cliftonville. But there is nowhere in Northern Ireland where that money would have a bigger impact than it would in Newton Ards. It would be transformational. 
because if you take another club, I, I don't want to pick a club because it doesn't seem like I'm picking on anyone. But um, if you took another Premiership club or Championship club, they desperately need work done to their ground, sure. But at least they have a ground. There is already a stand there. There is already terracing there. There is a pitch where the team can play on. And there is, in the case of teams that have 3G pitch, there is pitch there that can be accessed by their youth teams, by the, the community. That does not exist in Newton Arts. There is not a football ground, a ground in Newton Arts, where you can watch a sporting event sitting down, right? Not unless you bring your own deck chair, right? You cannot watch a game sitting down in a grandstand anywhere in Newton Arts. Newton Arts is one of the biggest towns in North Ireland. Like, th- this is a proper working class, unionist town, with a great sporting tradition and a great football tradition and a love of the football. It just doesn't have any facilities that are worth talking about. And it's transformational for the club, obviously, but also for the area. And I personally believe, and you can say that I'm biased, and you're right, I am, but I think Ard should be at the top of the queue for that funding. Will Ards get that funding? Will anybody get that funding? And if so, when? Who knows? I have no answers to those questions, and, and, and neither does the Department for Communities. Difficult, difficult situation. So when you see the phrase, ARDS are coming home, actually, it, it could be a long way away from that. Now, ARDS are not totally reliant on that uh, department. I keep on calling it decal funding because it was decal funding for so long, but it's obviously it's DFC now. They have plans to look at other areas, other types of funding that could be made available, and also a, a sort of a raising of funds I don't want to say crowdfunding because that makes it sound like they're trying to launch a, a new book or a, a, or make a small art film, a horror film for the. Um, it's it's obviously it's it's massive, massive money, and, and a club that has you know a hundred season ticket holders and gets three hundred at a game on a Friday night is not going to be able to raise four million. But there will be an element of, of crowdfunding for want of a better phrase. It's going to be a massive, massive effort, but ours will be are trying their best to access this funding. And if they can do it, if they can make the stream come reality, it is game-changing. It will it will change the lives of, of people in the town. It will change the level that the club can attain on the pitch. But like like I said earlier, like it's not really about making ours more successful as a team. I, I honestly don't really care about that. Like Ideally, I want us to be in the Premiership. That's better for me. That's better for the club, right? What's more important is actually having the ground of your own, home of your own, so you can build community and you can build a a sense of belonging. And you can hear this time and time again that Irish League clubs are vital to their community. They have become community hubs, uh, even if you want to go back decades, that those clubs were focal points during the dark days of the Troubles and, and they helped they help people in that period by providing entertainment through our darkest days. Ours were one of them clubs. They were there, you know, one of the best teams in the 70s, four trophies in, in 74, competed in Europe. They did all that. But in the last 20 years, they have lost that community sense. Now, they still get decent crowds. There's 300 on Friday night to watch them get beat 5-0 by Lock Goal. Amazing that there's 300 Ards fans of the game on Friday night when they haven't played in Newton Ards in 20 years. That, that gives you a sense of how big that club can be. But... All that stuff that if you're a Portadown fan or you're a Coleraine fan or you're a Balmina fan or a Glavon fan that you take for granted, you're meeting your friends at the game and you're going for a pint in the club afterwards and, and setting off from from your ground to go to an away game. None of that stuff exists for ours and it, and it makes it incredibly difficult. And then talk about sources of income, like all that stuff like advertising uh, around the ground and food at matches and all that stuff. None of that exists for ours. It's a I don't think it's quite appreciated in Arctic circles just how difficult it is 
is a kind of minor miracle that ours are still exist uh, and are actually relatively competitive. You know, they haven't, you know, they're all right. It's a hard argument to make just off the back of a five 0 defeat the lock goal, but you know, they, they, they have, uh, they have kind of held their own. Um, it would have been very easy for them to, to disappear and end up, you know, uh, falling out of league football or something. They haven't done that. And I think it's, it's to their credit. Wow. An incredibly impressive telling of the tale. I've just stroked out question after question as you hit all oh, all geez, the I all the like points. I rambled, Not so. that you know, there's so much there. You hit on it so much. I'm sure the club will have a big sign saying when they're asking for the funding, we haven't got any for twenty years. And you hit on the fact that, especially for a lot of younger fans, even for someone of my generation, that Ards was an established premiership top level team and the fact that they can get that many fans out to games shows there is a community even despite this nomadic nature that you've lived in and i'm sure for a long time you've thought this is never going to get resolved i i I just have to ask because i think it'll be a question a lot of people say it's i know it's ancient history but when the ground was sold was there an assumption that a new ground was only a year or two away or or was it were booted out or had to sell it and fling up the yeah, sea I mean, and see listen, where the wind blows. Yeah, I mean, listen, I was in primary school when all that happened, so it, it's a strange thing. And today, in the age of the internet and like being able to organize things um, a little bit easier, I wonder would it have happened? I, I think if the situation came about now, like we've more awareness about how valuable ground is, both literally and kind of in the community sense. I suspect it wouldn't have happened. I think it wouldn't have been allowed to happen. Um, but it was a different era, and you know the the club. And again, I was really young when this happened, so if I don't get all the details right, please forgive me. But the board of directors at the time uh, went to the shareholders and said, "Listen, if we don't sell this ground, the club's going to fold." And and the shareholders voted in favour of it. I don't think by a massive majority either, and that was it. It was done. And then like the directors left, and and a new board came in and then they left another board. And it's been really the same board, to be fair, for about 20 years. Now, the faces have changed, but like it's been a continuous thing. Um, and they've done an incredible job in keeping the, the club afloat. But but what happened back then, it just never should have happened. And it's a funny, funny thing. Like, Newry had this heartbreak of going bust, but they fold. And so did Coleraine. Like, this is forgotten, but Coleraine went bust and reformed as another club and kept their position in the league. And you kind of look at that and go, Ards didn't do that. The Ards sold their ground because they they wanted to keep the club afloat. Whereas, you know, in retrospect, that you would probably rather lose the club and keep the ground. But that was never actually an option for Ards because Ards owned the ground. Because so they, they owned that, whereas Coleraine didn't own the showgrounds and Yuri didn't own, own their showgrounds. So when they folded, when those clubs folded, the ground was not part of the debt, was not sold off to pay the debt. Whereas if Ards had folded at that time, they would have lost the ground anyway. So that was the theory. It's better to sell the ground to developers, keep that money, that'll pay the debt, and then use some of that money to try and build a new ground. But there, there's by the time the debt was paid, there was nothing left, and, and the club was just plunged into an extraordinary situation that I wouldn't wish upon anyone there's a handful of clubs around the world shamrock rovers would be one wimbledon would be another um that get this that would understand that have been through a similar thing brighton hoven album um but i actually look at those clubs with a bit of hope because shamrock rovers are what a team they are now they didn't play at tala for 30 years longer than that. 
I didn't like to call them messy women. They just swindled them to me. Not those other imposters. Uh, that they they're back at Plow Lane. They left Plow Lane in the late eighties. They only just got back now. Um, Brighton uh, and Hovalbian, like look where they are. They just stuff Man United, but they they were playing at this absolutely dreadful athletics ground that looked like Murray Peters Stadium with yeah, and a, ha- and had no with no... a football pitch in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I mean after they lost the goal soon, so it can happen. Teams can come back from it, and and uh, my hope is that that Ards become one of those one of those success stories because um, they've sure fought hard enough for it. It's an incredible story, I guess. There's no news on the timeline. It will just be when it comes, when it comes. It's just the, it's the first part of the journey. Listen, if you told me that ours would be guaranteed to have a ground in 2030, I would bite your hand off for it. I, I, I will wait as long as it takes. Um, I hope it happens before then. The club would really like to be back for 2025. Okay. I think that's massively ambitious, personally. The 2025 is the 125th anniversary of the club, uh, and they would like to be back for that. That that's the aim. I think it's ambitious, but um, you know, it, it, it's uh, at least they're alive and kicking and fighting for it. Well, let's go to modern day Ards and the team. Uh, you had the championship corner on the social club. I am delving into some championship cabaret, and uh, no better man to help guide me through the weekend's results very very quickly. Uh, were you at the game uh, against Lockall where Ards lost five nil? I missed the villagers. In Bangor to see the villagers see the vill- in Bangor. <laughs> ah, fantastic. I forgot about that. Ah, oh, well, I'm glad you missed it. Lock all, that's two very impressive wins, particularly against Warren Point. Well, after this week's games, maybe it wasn't as impressive, but two for two for Lock all. They <laughs> ended the season last year very strongly. Are they dark horses in this league? They're not dark horses. They're favourites in my book. No, favourites. Funny, people chuck the, fr- the phrase favourites about, right? Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, you can just personally decide who the favourites are. The favourites is an actual thing, and it's who the bookmakers think are favourites. That's who the favourite is. Anyway, there's, there's a funny thing at the start of the season. There's a, a launch for the league, and, like, nearly everybody I interviewed said the phrase, well, everyone's saying Warren Point are favourites. I don't know anybody who actually said Warren Point are favourites, but almost naturally... By way of them being relegated, they do become favourites. And to be fair to Barry Gray, he held on to most of his key players. So it wasn't an unreasonable assertion that, that they would they would be favourites. I certainly kind of went along with that. And ours are poor, right? But luck all are sensational. Like the, the way those goals are created, like how good they were from set pieces, how they moved the ball, how they moved ours all over the place. Like Alex Moore, the ours goalkeeper, was named man of the match. Because he made six or seven really impressive saves. That's how dominant Lockall were, and and they've already beat Warren Point. I think they've a great chance of winning the league, and and they can come up. You know, they they've got the facilities there. I would say that they would. They maybe need to like ground shirt on Gallon or something like that first, and then improve the ground as they went on. But like, I think that you could be in the not too distant future. You could be going to Premiership games in Lockall, which you know why not? It would be a great thing. They um been in the Premiership before held their own for a few years, then under Nal Curry won the first division a couple more times and couldn't come up, which was which was really frustrating, I think, for their fans. Um, but they look really good. You know, um, Pablo Andrade at, uh, at right wing back was really impressive uh, from the video. Nidus Makalaitis, I'm never quite sure if I'm saying that right or not, but like he was involved in, in, in every goal practically and he just looked sensational. So... Uh, they look a really good team. Ben Murdoch, centre back, um, one of the best, cent- the best centre back in the championship in my book. Um, so I think they've got a great chance. Not room one point out. 
off a Ferris, yeah, yeah, take your pick of the two of them. Yeah. Um, and there's Andrew Hoey as well, who who's small but like really just never gives in top player. Um yeah, they're a good team. Um listen, I wouldn't rule Warren point out yet, just off the back of two defeats. You know, there's a long way to go, and they, they did have two difficult games to begin with. Dundella are, are good. They have a young lad up front uh, called Reese Annett, um, who's just superb. He's like Michael Owen. He's so quick, gets in behind defences. Ah, he's nippy. Uh, he is. Dundella use him really intelligently. They use him off the bench quite a lot. In some ways, that seems a waste, but he's really good at picking up, you know, old, slow championship defences in the second half. Uh, he's destined for a bigger club, uh, I would imagine. Uh, with no disrespect to Dundella, because he's just too good to stay in the championship for too too much longer. Um, they'll hope to hold on to him for the rest of the season, I'm sure. Um, so 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 far, like early days, look on Dundella look really good. Like the championship's mad; anybody can beat anyone in it. Um, Ards finished seventh last year. They Ards were leading, led the championship the first week in November, and ended up finishing seventh, which is like, an indication of how crazy it can be and you get odd results in it and then teams will go through really bad periods and then they'll have really good periods and it's a strange old league because everybody's really evenly matched uh, and it's really entertaining for that you know if if you're a loose end on Saturday your premiership team isn't playing you could do a lot worse than going down to whoever your your nearest championship club is because high scoring games and unpredictable results like you can look at the premiership and I can kind of I know full well that like if Carrick are playing Linfield, like Linfield are definitely going to win. Like they just are. Sorry. You can never say that in the championship. Lockall are the best team. Like at the moment, if they have a game coming up against Nockbreda, who maybe people might consider to be the worst team, they only just avoid relegation on a playoff. Would I be surprised if Nockbreda beat Lockall? Nah, not really. Could happen. Does happen. Comes all the time. Bally Clare went to Newry last year off the back of this outrageously bad run. And Newry were flying top of the league and Bally Clare beat Newry. Like, just crazy. I'm not quite sure who's going to shake out from it all. Warren Point have got plenty of Premiership players still from last year. Dundella has loads of experience. It's like big, strong players with, as you said, the nippy the nippy guys up front. And, you know, welders are going to maybe find their form. Annie United still have a big core of that team that almost got to the top division last year. A, a fascinating division for sure. Welcome back to Fantasyland, but hold tight, football nerds, as we are in for a bumpy ride this week. Two game weeks in seven days. And yes, I know where you are, match day folks, coming out of the word work again to debate linguistics. But guess what? I don't care. It's a game week to me. GW for life. You've got two game weeks within one week. Deal with it. I may be just a bit grumpy because like many of you, I have a lot to think about when it comes to transfers. I have two Linfield players that would be playing, plus there's injuries for some of my top scoring players. There are only four games which will count tonight if you're listening to this on a Tuesday towards points this game week. Which means no Linfield, Murray, Glenavon or Larn. None of their players will score for you this game week. If you have eight players from that crew uh, perhaps now is the time to click that little unlimited transfer button but anxiety tells me we could be sitting in a very similar perilous position again in the future so all the best with the tinkering i feel like if i paid attention i could have foreseen all this drama if you did well done i don't care but i didn't so can we all move on everybody please thank you in reality you might have to carry a few non-scores this week. 
you won't be alone. So take some solace from that. But let's take the man leading the field on the nifantasyfootball.com website. One Simon Archibald. Sorry to single out here, Simon. But he has Cooper and Vertanen from Linfield. They did build for him last week. That's why he's number one. He's got two new players and Ben Kennedy. Oh yes, I've been trying to suppress this news pretty much for most of the pod. Ben Kennedy went off injured on Friday night. Does that mean he's on the sidelines? I don't know. What about Jimmy Guadagna? He didn't start on Saturday. He was one of the top scorers last season. What is happening there? And talking about being on the sidelines, one of the most picked players in the game, Levi Ives, was seen in crutches at Solitude on Saturday. So much to tinker with, and I only have two transfers. Right, parking all that injury drama, don't bin all those Newry and Glenavon players just yet, because you will have a double game week only for those two teams this week. Yes, at the end of the weekend, there'll be another game week, and they are going to be playing each other alongside their Saturday fixtures, which I'll be talking about after this in the pod. So, you can get double bonus. Amazing. Good luck, everybody. Looking back at game week two, McDermott and Shevlin for Coleraine were a deadly combination. I think many of us would love to flood our 11s with more than two players from Coleraine. Kirk Miller seems to be a consistent creator for Lidfield, was looking well there. And Aidan Wilson of Glenshorn in defence looks like he's got an eye for goal. Connor Keeley of Balamina ran out as the top goal scoring player in points. His 15 points coming from a win, a full game, a clean sheet and a goal. Like most things, we can try to be smart about this, but you know that our fortunes ultimately lie this game week with the gods. I feel as though as much as I've rambled on here, I should quickly reveal my nipple fantasy football team while I'm here. The kicking match streamers, as you know them, and I do as well. Well, this is what they are as follows. I've had to drop Finlayson and Roscoe from Linfield to my bench. Not sure what I'm going to do with them, but they were starting in Europe and were rested at the weekend. Didn't go well for me. I also have McCarry in goal from Glentoran. That did go somewhat well for me with the win. McDermott has been subbed in. He's joined the Dreamers. Ives, it was nice knowing you. I'll maybe say hello to you later on in the season. Tilney is a mainstay. We all know that. And 4.5k Porterdown wingback Akio 2 has been promoted to the starting lineup. Not particularly by choice. I brought Heatley in for Kennedy, as I think he may be injured, but I have no information one way or the other. And somebody from that Crusaders attack that I just needed in to get Heatley in. Coleraine's Lynch is still there. Cliftonville's McDonough is just going to have to stick around, as I can't change everybody. And McCulloch of Balamina, he's tasty. He's in the middle of the park. Alongside Oshin Kennedy, yes. That wee guy you put in your team, because you only had 4.5 left. He's playing. And hopefully he will do something against Crusaders. Bit of hit and hope there. It's Reese Campbell up top from Dungannon. Partnering my captain for game week three. Connor McMenamin in attack. And that's my crew. And good luck to every player who is playing for the Dreamers. And exclusively them. Doodles. Goodbye. Keith, have you got a fancy team this year? Or... Have you got an any a fantasy team? Yes, Irish well, League or no, no, I, I can't, I can't be bothered with that. To be perfectly honest, I quite like the Sunday Life one because you don't need to like change your captain every week. I don't like those ones because I forget in September and then never do it again. I'm much more of a football manager man. That's my, that's my uh, my go to. I like playing football manager. That's my kind of guilty pleasure. Um, 
always desperately trying to get orders in the in the Europe and and always failing. That's kind of the dream. Is where you tell me in twenty thirty you've you've got uh, orders in a big sixty seater stadium somewhere. Uh, but uh, no, I, I wish you all the best in however you manage your uh, fictitious teams, either on fantasy football or whatever. And again, like I said. I love me from Sunday Life 1. I've uh, taken home some of the moolah by being a manager of the month twice. But let's look ahead to the next uh, few games. The next time we have Arsic action, we get our first midweek selection of games. Uh, looking ahead to them, Linfield and Lauren is postponed because Linfield have that big game on Thursday. Some of the picks coming up on Tuesday, aka tonight, if you've downloaded the podcast when it first comes out. Uh, Balamina against Cliftonville. <sighs> it's a tricky one. Both seem in out of sorts in a way, and maybe that will both cancel each other out. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a tough one to call. I mean, Cliftonville are, are better than Balamina, that's to be blunt, but Cliftonville maybe haven't impressed so far. Balamina obviously played well at Dungannon. Glenavon game was a bit weird. I, I'll go for a draw on that one. I agree. I agree. Could be a few goals either side. Carrick, welcome Corian. Corian look really, really sharp. But then again, Carrick Rangers have been in uh, every game they've been in. They handled Nuri very well. Unlucky against Cliftonville. But just seeing the nature of that Corian team, they are knitting together very well. And the likes of Evan McLaughlin, or or maybe this is a chance for the likes of Conor McKendry or McCrudden to come on and throw their hat into the ring for a starting berth. Feels like Corian keep the form going into this one. Taylor's Avenue is a difficult place to go on a Tuesday night. Um, to, to give you a horrible cliche, but but Corian are a team that don't mind getting stuck in, so I fancy Corian doing that. Crusaders will want to make it right against Portadown at Seaview. I don't think Portadown have got a great record at Seaview, and anything that isn't a Crusaders win here will be one of the early shocks of the season for sure. Yeah, Crusaders will win that. I'm sure. Glentorn. Go to the Swifts. Could that be equally another shock? It feels like it's a nice chance to continue on the good result from last Friday. I think Glentoran will enjoy playing on the, the 3G pitch. And it was always an excellent surface at Dungan anyway. But um, I, I think I think Glentoran, good win on Friday night. Impressive performance. Still build on that again with a win on, on Saturday. Dungan, or sorry, on Tuesday, Dungan haven't really got going yet. By all accounts, Glenavon should have hosted Nuri, but that's been moved to the following Tuesday. We look ahead to the end of the week. Corian, Glenavon, that feels like potentially fireworks up in the showgrounds. That's a Friday night fixture. Glenavon will probably get two men sent off, won't they? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I fancy Corian to win that. I think they are playing well and, and Glenavon have not had a, necessarily a great start to this season. It's a weird one because Glenavon haven't actually played badly in either of their no. games. But um, yeah, I do, I do fancy Corian to win. I think that could just be a, a tight game, nil-nil potentially, I'm going to predict there. But imagine if Corian get, after four games, 12 points. They haven't Barclay Fanville beat any of the big boys, but that's really strong going if they were able to do that. Uh, Lauren against Balamino, that could be a bit tricky, you know. Down down at Inver Park, it's it's not the televised game, it's another Friday night one. But that could be a real marker if Balamino are able to get something out of that. Yeah, it's been a tough couple of weeks for Lauren. Let's let's be honest about it. They haven't, and even before that, they didn't particularly impress in Europe. I mean, a, a late winner at Glenavon again that didn't massively impress. But I mean, they're doing all right. I'm going to say a draw on that one. Always a feisty one. That kind of a bit of a a derby vibe going on with it. Um, so I'll say a draw there. But it would massively surprise me if Balmina won. Yeah, I I think so too. I I just think maybe the 
missing the game during the week for Lauren maybe could give them a bit more of a focus and Friday night I kind of fancy Lauren maybe to pull it all together and and particularly with Paul O'Neill finally off the mark, that could be just a, a good solid win for them. And then on TV on Friday, strangely three games on a Friday, Portadown welcomed Glen Torren. And after all the things, I actually got told off by a few Portadown fans when I was there uh, covering the game that I was, I've been too harsh on them. Well, guess what, Portadown fans? I think you're going to nick a draw against Glen Torren. Uh, and can we say, I think it will be late in, well, it'll be this Friday. I think we can properly say, underneath the lights because it should get darker sadly a bit earlier i fancy the ports to nick a draw here um and our grands will win uh, <laughs> i'll say that i've got nothing to base it yeah. on bar i don't know the magic yeah, of football i mean grand torrens always is another one that, that's a wee bit tasty um yes really strange rivalry that that nobody really knows why they're rivals it's a bit of a, a bit of a crystal palace brighton one isn't it um yeah yeah, no, I, I think I fancy the Glens for that one. Rounding off uh, this weekend's fixtures, only two on Saturday at three o'clock. You won't hear me in the radio, I think. Uh, Cliftonville hosts Dungannon Swifts. Dungannon don't really get a lot of wins against the big teams. And if all going well, it should be routine for Cliftonville. But look what we saw last week. You just never know. New Orleans are Cliftonville win three points for the Reds. And Newry against Crusaders, that's... That's very that's they interesting. They host Crusaders. That you know, we saw how Newry were able to push men forward and really, at times, scare Linfield. That could be if Crusaders are as open as they were against Glentoran at times. That could be a, a an opening that Newry could slide in and, and get a result, particularly at home. I would yeah. Pass it. Um, Newly promoted teams quite often and get like a famous result in the first month, don't they? So why not? I'll, p- I'll go for Newry for a win there. That's that's not be boring. And then our you Sunday boys. Team, <laughs> and then our Sunday boys, Linfield. They have, uh, they make the trip to Carrick. Uh, lots of games. The preview. We've rattled through them. Again, they'll either be licking their wounds or they'll be probably still celebrating from it. If Carrick were able to get a result there. They could just catch them, but in the form Linfield are on, if they get an early goal, it's game over. Yeah, I mean, Linfield, if we've been honest with it, have had a fairly favourable fixture list to start things off. You Massive. couldn't really ask for better than than, than Portadown, followed by Newry, followed by, by Carrick. So, yeah, I think the Blues will, will win that regardless of what happens on Thursday. Um, but, you know, they've had an easy start. Well, easy's hard, but you know, a hard, uh, not a nice word to use, but you know what I mean. They have had a relatively kind start. That means they'll have more difficult fixtures coming up. So, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would have been different different matches altogether and a different lead into those big games if they were going against Glentoran or Clippenville. Look, it's luck of the draw. I'm not suggesting it's one way or the other, but yes, uh, fortune has definitely favoured the Brave there in that situation. Keith, can I just say thank you so much for joining me today. When I started this, I, I wrote a big massive list of people who I would love to have on and uh, I really do appreciate you coming on, on as your someone that I always enjoyed listening to and it's uh, been a delight for me to have all these conversations with you you're uh, giving credible insight oh I try my best um yeah it, it's uh it's nice to be asked on I appreciate it Peter and, and good luck with the new venture I mean uh, I think podcasts are really are a great vehicle um for coverage of Irish League football because they can go in depth where you maybe don't get the space on tv radio or 
or in in print. So uh, yeah, thanks very much for that. And uh, keep an eye on my my Twitter timeline each week. We're doing lots of interesting stuff over over the Belfast Telegraph and Sunday Life. We are uh, we've really upped our RSD coverage. I mean, the RSD coverage has traditionally been so strong over on that outlet, but um, you know we're doing a wee bit more. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to do a wee bit more championships. There's plenty going on there if if you keep an eye on it. I absolutely agree. I've stolen many talking points uh, from the paper <laughs> uh, for this podcast uh, and claimed it as my own. Keith, where can they find you? Uh, it's a, would you say, as a man who has a misspelt second name with a D at the end for Cinnamon, for Bailey, uh, they can find you Keith, B-A-I-L-I-E online, Twitter, That's, the best that place. Is- it's Keith J Bailey, but here that is the most common way for spelling Bailey in Northern Ireland. So that is very much the Northern Irish way of spelling, ah. as Noel will tell you. Fantastic, Keith. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. It really was amazing to share the podcast with Keith this week. He's someone that I've looked up to for a number of years, and. All it took was for me to set up my own podcast to finally pick up the courage to actually send him an email and try and force him to talk to me about Irish League football. I miss the social club as much as you do. Uh, At this point, I should probably say that next week there will be a kicking match, but with the whole bank holiday thing, I'm sure you're going to have a good time. It's going to interrupt me getting somebody in to record, so I'll more than likely be a day late. Sit tight, there will be a kicking match. It will be grand. Uh, you can find other ramblings in the meantime from me, from the pod, via the socials. Hey, I'm hip too. Uh, you can say hello to me at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search Kick and Match. I've got them all. And if you want to take this podcast hands free, ooh, technology, it's now available on what I believe are called smart speakers. We all know what they're called. But broadly, some people don't have the one that comes in a big brown box. Uh, yes, finally, you have a way to broadcast this podcast to your whole family in your kitchen. Just say hello to your little friend and say, play Kicking Match, an Irish League podcast. Go on, give it a go. Trust me, you'll really like it. You'll feel really smart and it'll be great. And a quick note, I must say this to a very special listener, uh, to Nigel, who's celebrating a really big birthday. They really, really important in encouraging me to do this. They really helped push me towards getting this podcast off the ground. I don't know if I would have done this without their support, so I wanted to say thank you. I really, really do appreciate it, and I hope that you enjoy your week. It's a massive birthday. Have a great day, week, month, even a year my email is open for thoughts feelings and spam it's kickingmatch at gmail.com till then enjoy your match if you go out to see one and if we're being honest what excuse do you have to not you've got two chances tuesday saturday enjoy it thank you so much for your support listening to this very thing let's catch up again soon bye